After 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
white dogs doing in the city. They lost looking for meaning. Flying so pretty in this cold dark city. Spying, spying me. Spider
discriminating We'll make you any flavor that you crave or that you savor So be braver and don't waver, just choose You hear so many different voices Urging you to make your choices We'll tempt you, tantalize you, we'll entice you, we'll surprise you With the wines we see, we'll size you up To see if you're a spender So choose your vendor
J.M. in the A.M. Maccabees. Yeah, Hanukkah time. We uh, <laughs> we revisit some great Maccabees selections, including that one. Come back. Choice is done by Ari Goldwag. How did he get into this half hour? He's like, he's got three songs in this half hour. We just did. Dudu Fisher, who I spoke to yesterday, the the Venetian is the place tomorrow night in Las Vegas for the show that Dudu Fisher is doing. And um, from what I am told. It is, uh, I mean, I mean, Dudu was describing it to me yesterday, just a, an unbelievable show planned for tomorrow night. Anybody who's lucky enough to be out there for Shabbos with him, enjoy. He's amazing. Moshe Hecht had Inspire Me, Ari Goldwag with both Menucha Vesimcha and Chanukah Light from the brand new English album. Great new Chanukah song's got a good video to go along with it. And Regesh and Modani opening things up. Ari Goldwag was with us earlier in the week here at JM in the AM. If you missed that, you can check out the archive section here. At the jmtheam.org. And enjoy. Want to thank our friends at the Gourmet Glot in Brooklyn. It was, uh, it was amazing to be back in Brooklyn with JM and the AM yesterday. It really was. It was amazing to be back in Brooklyn. And, um, just had a, a really, really nice time and, um, very enjoyable. It is, it is still the, uh, for, for so many things, the center of activity. Really amazing. The center of activity in the Jewish world here in the United States. Brooklyn, New York. And you get that feeling even early in the morning. By the way, Benny Friedman is confirmed for Monday. Benny Friedman confirmed for Monday. The brand new album is out, as you know. Benny Friedman will join us in, uh, hour number three Monday morning. Talk about the brand new album, play some of the brand new music. Benny Friedman, he's one of those hot artists out there. And um, he is confirmed he will be in studio this coming Monday at JM in the AM. Jay Booksbaum is supposed to be on his way to JM in the AM. He's actually supposed to introduce us to another interesting personality in the, I believe, Israeli wine industry, but I'm not 100% sure. Uh, it is the wine industry that we know. We'll find out from Jay Booksbaum, who's expected to stop by in hour number two this morning here at JMM. Also, of course, we have our uh, weekly update, as you can imagine. Malcolm Honline, today, 7.40 Eastern Time, will field my questions and get us up to date on what's happening in this crazy world of ours. Who was discussing with me? Oh, yeah, last night I was somewhere, and uh, <laughs> we were joking about the, um, <laughs> we were joking about how week after week the situation seems more and more gloomy in this world. Uh, but uh, as we know, hey, Hanukkah's Tuesday night. Talk about the Festival of Lights. As we know, the world is uh, lit up. By goodness and the grace of God and uh, our good deeds and uh, hopefully our camaraderie, both among uh, our people and among men in general, meaning mankind. And um, hopefully it will uh, prove to be the case again this upcoming Chanukah, which begins on Tuesday night. Men and women around the world celebrating together, seeing the Chanukah lights and enjoying the peacefulness and the light of the amazing holiday.
Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos Parshas, Vayeshev, candle lighting again, 409. 409, 32 degrees, mostly sunny, high 37. Tonight, partly cloudy, a low of 31. Sunshine for tomorrow, a high temperature, 42 degrees. 70 in Yerushalayim, 32 right here. Again, thank you to Gourmet Glot in Brooklyn. And again, and a thank you to Gourmet Glot and Cedarhurst as well. They were really, they, they were part of the show yesterday, even though we weren't in Cedarhurst. It was obvious they were really part of the whole show yesterday. And a big thank you to our friends at Manischewitz. It was a, an amazing stunt show, uh, with Manhattan Day School. Thank you, MDS and its fourth grade students. Thank you to uh, the CKCA for providing the chefs. They built on four different stations the uh, Hanukkah house for Manischewitz. And I thought again, for a second consecutive year, it was an absolutely Wonderful show. If you missed any of it, it's available if you go to our website, NahumSiegel.com. I think it's still up there on the, yeah, it's still up there on the homepage. I guess later on this morning, they'll replace that with Naomi's show coming up at 9 a.m., but the video is still up there on the homepage, and obviously it'll be in the video section. You can check it out over the weekend and enjoy. Great weekend programming on our stream, as you would suspect, including Avrami hosting Saturday Night Siegel tomorrow night at 10 Eastern Time, including the, um, the court report. Uh, coming up 7 p.m. Eastern Time on our stream Sunday night with Elliot Weiselberg, the uh, latest in basketball and hockey in the Yeshiva League. And Sunday morning, Matis hosts uh, Sunday morning. Um, two hours starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Great music, great guests, news in English. Morning Chizuk, he's got everything going on on Sunday morning, so make sure to tune in and enjoy. 24 minutes before 7 o'clock. It's JM and the AM as we get closer and closer to Hanukkah. Thank you so much for joining us. Jay Booksbaum expected in our studio coming up. And the plenty more if you keep it right here at JM and the AM.
Those mitzvahs that are making Hashem proud. If you love your mitzvah, join with Uncle Moishi. Everybody yell a mitzvah loud. Mitzvah! Moishi, Moishi, Moishi. Good old Uncle Moishi. Fun and games with all our friends. Moishi, Moishi, Moishi. We love Uncle Moishi. Uncle Moishi and his mitzvah man. can be found anywhere and everywhere. Thank you. 
Choli al kol pesha'ay Al kol pesha'ay
J.M. in the A.M. That's the Camp Shalva Boys Choir. It's on Mizmiro's title track to their most recent CD here on a J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning. Before that, Moshe Laufer and company with Nigun Rikud uh, from Chabad with Moshe Laufer, Volume 3. You heard Ohad with Melach Malchei Hamlachim. Someone pointed that out yesterday to me, how much they enjoyed that selection. We played it uh, when we were at Gourmet Glot yesterday. Uh, Uncle Moishi's intro to his Volume Number 18 and Daddy Come Home, Big Hanukkah selection from the Yeshiva Boys Choir. Uh, their album is entitled Chanukah. Plenty of that coming up starting on Tuesday night, of course. And don't forget to stay with our stream all through Chanukah. No need for satellite radio or any of those channels or websites that you think are doing the best job when it comes to uh, Jewish music on Chanukah. We've got it all. Make sure you have the NSN app. Make sure you have the NSN, Nachum Single Network app, in your Android or your uh, or your iPhone. And you could listen to uh, eight straight days. Well, I guess seven to be uh, official. Uh, Shabbos Hanukkah wouldn't be a good idea. <laughs> but eight straight days of amazing and incredible Hanukkah selections uh, interspersed throughout our entire uh, musical program. It is the best way to, to uh, approach the holiday, enjoy the holiday, and have great music accompanying your holiday uh, right here at JM and the AM dot org. Uh, Friday morning on this era of Shabbos Parshas, Vayeshev, candle lighting at 4.09. Jay Booksbaum has guests from Israel who he'll be introducing to us coming up. That'll happen in just a few minutes right here at JM and the AM. Malcolm Honeline, of course, with our weekly update on the way at 7.40 this morning. Make sure to stay tuned to this great radio broadcast. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Galitzal in the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. And then our visitors from the Flam Winery in the Holy Land will be joining us here at JM in the AM. We'll wrap up the week at 9 a.m., but don't worry. Naomi Nachman is on starting at 9 right after JM in the AM with an amazing Table for Two program at jmnam.org. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next at jmnam. גבר הגיע למחסום המנהרות דרומית לירושלים ושפה חומצה על מספר בני אדם ששרו במקום. צוותי מגן דוד אדום מעניקים טיפול רפואי לגבר בן 40 שנפצע בינוני ולשלושה ילדים בגילאי 8 עד 10 במצב קל. המפגע הנורא והוא ככל הנראה במצב קשה. כוחות גדולים של משמר גבול וצה"ל נמצאים במקום. עד כאן. מיד לאחר החדשות נביא בגל"צ עדכון נוסף בעקבות האירוע בכביש המנהרות. עוד בחדשות, במשרד החוץ מאשימים את אבו מאזן בהסתה שהובילה לירי הלילה לעבר שגרירות ישראל באתונה, כתבתנו המדינית הילי שחר. ההתקפה על שגרירות ישראל באתונה היא חוליה נוספת בפעולות האלימות המגיעות כתוצאה מההסתה הפלסטינית שמופצת ברחבי העולם על ידי ראשי הרשות. כך אמר דובר משרד החוץ בירושלים עמנואל נחשון. לדבריו על הקהילה הבינלאומית לגנות את ההסתה הנמשכת הזו שאלו הן תוצאותיה. ישראל מודה לשלטונות יוון על שיתוף הפעולה ההדוק בחקירת האירוע, ואנו מקווים כי המפגעים ייתפסו ויבואו על עונשם לשון ההודעה. בצהריים פרסמה ממשלת יוון גינוי רשמי לתקרית, אך לא נעצרו חשודים. הלילה נורו כמה עשרות קליעים לעבר השגרירות ואיש לא נפגע. אלי ישי מתקרב לפרישה מש"ס. לפני שעה קלה הוא נפגש עם מנהיג הליטאים הרב שטיינמן. כתבנו אוריה אלקיים. לפני זמן קצר יצאו אלי ישי ורעייתו ציפי מביתו של הרב שטיינמן בבני ברק. על פי הערכות אלי ישי יודיע כבר בשבוע הבא על התפצלות מש"ס. 
והחבירה לשר הבינוי אורי אריאל למפלגה חדשה שיקימו. אישה הגיעה לגדור הדור הליטאי על מנת לקבל את ברכתו. בבית הרב מכחישים את הדיווחים, לפיהם ישי קיבל אישור לפצל את ש"ס. הם אומרים כי הרב שטיינמן וישי לא שוחחו בעניינים פוליטיים. עוד במערכת הפוליטית, מפלגת הימין עוצמה יהודית בראשות ברוך מרזל ומיכאל בן ארי הודיעה שתתמודד בבחירות הקרובות. בהודעת המפלגה נאמר כי ינהלו גם משא ומתן כדי לחבור לרשימה קיימת. הרמטכ"ל הורה לחקור את הדלפת תחקיר החדירה לחוף זיקים, כתבנו טל אברהם. מחלקת המידע של צה"ל תהיה אחראית לבדיקה שתתקיים בשיתוף השב"כ. אתמול התברר כי סוכנות ידיעות פלסטינית העלתה את התחקיר הצה"לי לרשת היוטיוב. בתחקיר יש גם סרטים המתעדים את האירוע, ונתונים שונים המדווחים שם נחשבים מסווגים. חוקרי שרפות קבעו שהדלקה הלילה בעכו נגרמה מהצתה והרקע פלילי, כך מוסר כתבנו קובי מנדל. באירוע נפגעו 16 בני אדם משאיפת עשן, מתוכם חמישה ילדים ושלושה תינוקות, המטופלים בבית החולים בנהריה. התחזית, היום צפוי גשם בדרום ובמזרח, מחר ירידה ניכרת בטמפרטורות, וייתכן גשם בצפון. מיד בגל"צ, כאמור, עדכון נוסף בעקבות החשד לפיגוע בכביש המנהרות. אלה החדשות שעורך הדר שיפר, בצוות ליאם רמלז ואבי כהן. J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayeshev, candlelighting at 4.09. The king of kosher wine is in our studio, and he's brought along some very special guests from Israel. We love meeting special guests from Israel, especially guests that are doing really cool stuff in Israel. And today, Jay Buxbaum is going to introduce to us the uh, Flam brothers, Gilad and Golan, who have turned the uh, wine business into a family business. Jay Booksbaum, the king, the absolute king, the royalty. You're wearing your royal crown of oh, royal wines. That's funny. You're wearing <laughs> your royal crown today. How are you, sir? Good morning. Thank the good Lord. Everything's great. Everything's wonderful, huh? Thank God Shabbos is coming. Why? Why Shabbos? Because you get a better bottle of wine? Is that why? <laughs> Go down to my cellar and bring up a bottle of cellar? Flam... Uh, What's, it like? What's the security on your cellar like? Is it like, you know, like, 43 code numbers in order to get in? Go for it. No, I it's mean, what like, happens? Is there every, an armed no, guard? It's, no, it's... Uh, There's no it's, armed guard. Frankly, it's it used to be that way really? many years ago. <laughs> and then I, I finally what, a decided... German shepherd I or a real armed decided guard? one day... Free for all. Go drink whatever you would like, whenever you would like it. That's an offer that I get these calls all the time. You know, people say to me, Jake, can you get me this and can you sell it to me? And it's, you know, and I said to them, listen, it's illegal. You know, really? It's illegal. And you don't participate in the legal activities? Of course not. But anytime you want, you can come to my house and drink whatever you want. Really? That's right. Is that offer open to me? Jay? Absolutely. I may be there this afternoon. I'm ready. <laughs> Tell Brenda to have the pre-Shabbos kugel ready, please. <laughs> but you have to bring Stacy. All right. Well, believe me, I wouldn't do anything cool in this world without her. I hear you. Uh, the Flam Winery is where, Jay? Where in, if I wanted to visit, where would I go in Israel? Would I go to the north, the south, the east, the Beit west? Beit Shemesh. I'd go to Beit Shemesh? Right. There's a winery in Beit Shemesh. Right. You can attest to that. I can. And you've brought along this morning both Gilad and Golan Flam, who right. are from the Flam Winery in Israel. Uh, Boker Tov. Welcome. Boker Tov. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. How come I would suspect? I know a little bit about... Israeli geography, a little right. bit. Why would I suspect that there likely would not be a winery in Beit Shemesh? Or is that a really ridiculous assumption on my part? The only thing I can think of is because there's a, a 
cemetery nearby. No, but is it, <laughs> I don't know why. I have no idea. Why is, not? Isn't it really hot there? Isn't it, isn't it tough to no, grow, grow grapes in that second, area? One second. Uh, first of all, just because the winery is located. Listen, uh, the vineyard Herzog Winery else. is in uh, Oxnard, California. Since when? The only thing you get there is garlic. <laughs> I mean, you know. So I, I hope we don't have garlic in our wine. So you're you know? saying that the Flom operation happens in Beit Shemesh. Their vineyards might be somewhere else. Well, their vineyards, there are some vineyards that are close by. I'll let them talk about right. it. But the Judean Hills surrounds all of that area. Correct. And the Judean Hills has some wonderful vineyards, which they take some from. Right. But they also, I mean... Israel is the size of the state of New Jersey. Correct. So you can go to the, quote, Napa Valley of Israel, which is in the Golan, right. um, and only be an hour and a half, two hours away. Understood. And now I got it. Now I got the whole thing. Okay. This is uh, this is this is very doable to have your operation in Beit Shemesh and have vineyards in other places. Right. This is Gilad or Golan? Golan. Golan Shalom. Booker Tov. Hi, Booker Tov. Good morning. I'm very uh, impressed with your English, by the way. Very nice. <laughs> I want helps. to hear some good Hebrew. It, no, not on this show. Not a chance. <laughs> Galitzal was the limit on that. I hear you. How long has the Flam Winery been in existence? Well, we are uh, we were established in 1998 when my brother and myself we decided we would like to create a top quality winery. And actually, it is not really in the middle of the town of Bechemish. We are really at the very very beautiful, surrounded uh, by the Judean Hills. In it is uh, four three miles. Uh, East Gilad, uh, north, 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 north to Bet and it is really where located. You can see in a, you have a beautiful picture of the beautiful scenery out of from our winery, and uh, yeah, most of the all everybody are most welcome to come and visit uh, the winery. Back in 1998, and you might be able to address this. In 1998, there were there were relatively few wineries in Israel, certainly compared to today, right? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I'm always saying that in uh, Israeli terms, we are one of the first Israeli boutique wineries, and uh, from the first minute, we're focusing on quality wines, and this is our everyday, and uh, till today, our first mission to make the top wines we can make from the beautiful... Yeah, but in 98, how many wineries were there in Israel? In total? Yeah. Small wineries, or in general, with general, I think you could have you could have found ten, twenty, thirty yeah, wineries. Twenty, twenty, 20 and today, how many do you find in Israel? Four hundred. <laughs> there are four hundred today. Yeah. Right. No wonder you're always traveling. There's so many places to get to. My yeah, gosh. bet you bet. That's unbelievable. And when we say boutique for the audience, what do we mean as compared to quote unquote a normal winery? Uh, uh, usually less than twenty thousand cases. Okay, very specialized. Trying right. to do the Just to give you a perspective, uh, Carmel does a million cases, right. okay, approximately between wine and grape juice. So that's not a boutique, but less than 20,000 cases. Would so when it comes to boutique, we're looking to do, to do a couple of varieties really well, make an impact in that way, right, and, yeah. and, and really concentrate on, uh, on those couple of things. So what was the first wine? The Flam Winery, what was the very first thing you guys ever did? Yeah, yeah. Actually, we were uh, born and raised into a wine atmosphere. Our dad was ah. first, probably was the first Israeli who went to study in UC Davis winemaking, and he became That's the UC place. Davis is like the famous like wine Syracuse for broadcasting. Exactly, yeah. UC Davis in California, so, right. it's in uh, Northern California. Sure. He was the chief winemaker, and Gilad and myself, we decided that we want to create a bit something different and. Uh, to go through the quality and... Well, what was your first wine? 
1998. Now, what was the first wine? The first wine that the Flam Winery ever came out with was what? What was the first type? Oh, is there a language cab- barrier? <laughs> the Cabernet. Yes. Was what is the, it called? The Cabernet Sauvignon. Cabernet Sauvignon Resort. is the first wine you ever yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how did we know at that point that this could compete with other Cabernets? Like, how does a winemaker know that that this is good enough to, you know, to make an impact in the market? Um, actually, I was uh, uh, trained in uh, Tuscany. Uh, I made Pish, Pish, Tuscany. Wow. So. Uh, <laughs> I really had a good idea about uh, good and top wines uh, around the world, and uh, from the first day, this was my benchmark to make the, like the great wines of Tuscany or or Bordeaux. And uh, thanks God, we have really great uh, climatic conditions in Israel, uh, and we can really make great wines from the top soils of the Upper Galilee and the Judean Hills. You have every climatic condition in Israel. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I keep telling people this, this famous thing that I always say in my wine tastings. Yeah. You can go skiing in the morning right. and scuba diving in the afternoon. Correct. In the same day. Golad and Gilad Flam are here. Flam Winery in Israel. Jay Bookspam has brought them by from the Holy Land. So now you started with the Cabernet. How many varieties are there today? Uh, today we're focusing on still uh, four or five uh, main Bordelais varieties like uh, Merlot, uh, Cabernet Franc, Petit Verdot, and the Syrah has also great potential in, in the land of Israel. And from the white, we're making only one white wine, but is very, very fresh and delicious, which the idea is to show the flesh and fresh, uh, beautiful aromas of the Sauvignon Blanc and the Chardonnay. Now, uh, I'm looking at all of these labels. Yeah. I assume, and you know what type of wine drinker I am, I assume the one I would gravitate to first would be the rosé. You agree or not? I agree. That would be the one. Yeah, but that you would get, be, you're yeah. becoming uh, a, know, a bit I'm of be- a, sh- a fine schmecker. I am becoming a big shot. I, I have to tell you to something. You know, yeah. There's a beautiful backstory here, too, besides the fact that Yisrael, their father... I know for many, many years and, and was the UC Davis guy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, until recently, until 2010, they've been in business since when? 98? 98, yeah. Until 2010, everybody in Israel, the uh, glitteria, so to speak, you know, the, the mm-hmm. real upper crust, knew about Flam, but anybody who was kosher couldn't drink it because it wasn't under certification. Right. It's only since 2010 that it's under certification. It's only for the last approximately two years or so that it's even available in the United States. And how many of them are available in the United States? All of them at this point? Yeah. Everything is available in the U.S.? So what happens? You bring these gentlemen from Israel, and you're traveling, what, the entire country with them, or the New York area? Pretty much. We went to Florida. You're serious? Did tastings? Oh, God. We had this, this, like, a KFWE Miami. Unofficial, I guess. No, no. It was was official? It was, yeah. Semi-official. It was semi-official because we partnered, or... We partnered with a charitable organization, which we don't do in the other right. ones. And they really got all the people. We supplied all the wine. Anyway, so we did it in Miami. Uh, last Wednesday, I was in Minnesota. We did a mini KFWE, which was official in Minnesota. Could you imagine? In Minnesota. And uh, they've been all over New York and New Jersey. It's it's just been a whirlwind tour. Uh, if there are 400 wineries... Of in course, it, we got to get up at the crack of dawn to, in the uh, middle of the night to see you. Can't complain about that. <laughs> no, um, not at all. If you go ahead and... Uh, if there are, in fact, 400 wineries, we'll use that number, you know, right. Stamazoy, as they Stamazoy. say. If there are 400 wineries in Israel, what percentage of Israeli wineries have wines available in the United States, in your opinion? Around what not, number? I'll tell you. Uh, what percent? Five percent. So it's a big deal 
when a wine gets exported from Israel to the U.S. It's like it's a tremendous, not just market push in terms of we want to sell more bottles of wine. It's a tremendous market push in terms of international reputation. Well, that, that, and I want to give an alert to your listenership. This is very important. There's 400 wineries. The bulk of the, bulk of the volume is under kosher certification right. because it's made by the big wineries mm-hmm. that are kosher. <clears throat> but the more than 80% of those 400 wineries are not under kosher certification. And I've seen it happen. A lot of times people will pick up a, a wine in Israel because it has Hebrew on sure. it. They'll assume that of it's course. kosher under kosher certification. I don't want to say it's not kosher, yeah, but right, it's not kosher certification is not supervised. And then they'll bring it home. So you got to be careful. Could that ever happen here? Have you seen, <laughs> yes, non- I've seen, you've seen non-certified Israeli wines sure, in this country? Sure, and there are. Interesting. There are. Which means you're not bringing it in. Someone yeah, well, you got to be careful. Yeah, I understand. I, I'm talking to you know alert consumers. If you brought it in, it would be kosher. <laughs> you bet. There you go. Jay Booksbaum is here. We're speaking with the Flom brothers, Gilad and Golan, who are visiting from Israel, touring the United States, and um, and uh, presenting uh, their Flom winery uh, wines in these different venues. Um, is, is it difficult to work? Because you are brothers, <laughs> is it difficult? <laughs> is it a difficult team? You know, it's funny when I said the Flaw brothers are coming in. I thought people were thinking it must be an accounting firm, must be a you know like, <laughs> a, a law, law firm, firm right, right? You know, is it difficult to work in a winery under these circumstances? Um, no, it's challenging. <laughs> difficult, not it's challenging. But uh, I think that. Uh, Really, uh, first of all, family, it's a very important value in our, uh, we are working together as brothers. We are working with our mother, which is the finance and she is the big manager. Mm. We're working with our sister. They better come back with good results in the U.S. Otherwise, mama's not going to be happy. Hey, mom, I need lunch money. (laughs) Mama, Minnesota went well. Don't worry. (laughs) I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, I think it's, I like it very much, you know, to work with uh, my brother. We know each other since we were born, and yeah, uh, that's true. And so, guess uh, there's some advantages to that. No, but yeah. also, I, you know, talk about the division of labor here. Yeah. Why they have different departments they're in charge of? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what is your role and what is Gilad's I'm role? More, uh, I, I'm on the business development, on uh, marketing, on export, and this is uh, my responsibility. Golan is uh, more on the vineyards, production, uh, winemaking, uh, all this kind of stuff. So we are really working in different divisions. So you have the frustrating job <laughs> of having to pick those grapes at the exact right time, right? Exactly. And exactly. it is frustrating. Um, and, and if it's the wrong season, sometimes it can, you know, yeah, different yeah, things yeah, can interrupt yeah, it's, the it's, the schedule, right? Yeah, yeah, it's very, very challenging, but this is at the end of the day, you are valued at these days. Like, right. you have really to run all around in the vineyards and uh, right. not, not to give up, to let it another two days, another three days, even though the sugar levels are over there, but still to taste and to taste the, the grapes. And it's really, it's all uh, very, very... Action uh, period. Not okay. easy to fight nature, huh? <laughs> and when and and in general, well, I don't ask in general. I ask specifically about your winery. Do do wineries like yours get into markets that are not the United States first? Like, do you make attempts to uh, go to Europe and other so, countries? Yeah, yeah, of course. I will tell you. Just two weeks ago, we were in a big event in Amsterdam. 
and there were a lot of uh, it's for the non-kosher uh, market and a lot of sommeliers and wine people came consumers came to this event one day before we were in a big event in the OAV in Paris which nice. all the best sommeliers from Paris came we were exporting to Hong Kong to Singapore to Belgium so uh, and those came before the US or after That came uh, some of them in parallel uh, in parallel, but uh, you know everybody in the world now became to know more and more Israeli wines right. as quality wines. Israel can produce a high end wines that can compete every single area in the world and this is our main mission when we established this winery, our main mission was to produce. quality wines from the land from the soil of Israel and it doesn't matter if it goes to this crowd or to uh, this crowd mm-hmm. and uh, you know for us it's, it's amazing to see how more, more and more people are getting into Israeli wines and how service this, the, the wine business and the wine industry is doing for Israel People know Israel not from the political point of view and not from the, all the you know, conflicts and blah, blah, blah. They know Israel from taste, from quality, from culinary. So this is the service that we are feeling that we are doing for Israel when we are presenting Israel in Amsterdam. For One of the reasons that you're here and that Jay's always bringing us generally uh, Israeli wineries, generally when you right. come in with guest That's wineries, right. it's usually from Israel. And you, of course, work with a million different countries. Right. Uh, is, is for those two reasons. Number one, we want everyone out there to know that Israel is producing a great wine. And I think that you're right in terms of impression of Israel. It's a big help. And secondly, our listeners need to know when they buy Israeli wine, they are supporting the Israeli economy. I mean, I know that it, it sounds crazy that people wouldn't know that. But go buy a case of wine from Israel, and it's having a major effect. On the Israeli economy. We talked about that uh, a few months ago when uh, yeah, the Gaza the summer, conflict. Sure. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think in the end of the day, you know, wine business, it's a lot of agriculture. And uh, when we have our uh, vineyards in the Judean Hills, and we have also two vineyards in the north, it's like on the border with Lebanon. So this is what is so nice in this industry that... Uh, You know, it's an industry that's uh, all over Israel and in the more in the border part of Israel, not only in the center like Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. And, uh, yeah, Israel have to develop the agriculture in Israel, not only the high-tech. Speaking with uh, Golan and Gilad Flam and Jay Buxbaum, of course, the number one kosher wine sommelier on planet Earth. <laughs> all right, the big question, this is how we always uh, sum it up. Can people visit your winery? Are you set up at this point where... Where tours, where visitors can come, taste some wine, buy some wine, see something cool. I mean, some wineries in Israel have done great in this area. How have you been progressing in this area? So, uh, yeah, of course, our winery is open to the people who want to visit the winery. We have a very nice terrace that you see the Judean hills from the terrace. You can have a very professional uh, meeting with events, uh, uh, events and meeting uh, mm-hmm. about and talking about uh, wine and professional tasting. And, um, yeah, people can have a great uh, experience. Uh, in And this is for your listeners only. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody Before else. they go. Nobody yeah. else. Yeah. So, any, please, if you're not... Don't uh, spread the word. Don't spread the word. Right. <laughs> don't put it on social media. You, you <laughs> let them know that... Gilad and Golan personally invited you before you go, send them an email, 
and they'll they'll pull out the they'll pull out the stops for you. I just I, I want to say something kind of cute. Yeah. For those of you of a certain age, all right. I doubt that's maybe go ahead. <laughs> People used to know Israel way back when for the Uzi. Remember the Uzi? Sure. Okay. And then, the Merkava and, and all those things. And the Merkava, right. <laughs> and then people used to, no, not used to, then people now know Israel for the high tech. Right. You know? Startup nation. Startup nation. And, you know, I think, but, and, the, and that's wonderful too. It's certainly better than knowing Israel for the Uzi or, you know, it's a little yeah, better. Understood. But the viscerality, so to speak, the visceralness of knowing it for an unbelievable great 91 point wine Parker from uh, from the Flams. I, I would think that's 91.1, you're saying. Yeah, there you go. 91. Ooh, you like that? Huh? That's, the, that's the station here. 91. Is, is, it just it goes into your bones. Right. I mean, it, it goes into your Shabbos table. I'll never forget uh, uh, Nathan Herzog's father, Feischer Herzog, used to say, Guys, we are not selling wine. We're selling bar mitzvahs. We're right. selling weddings. We're selling Friday night. Kiddish, you know, and if you can do that with a, you know, with a great wine like Flam makes, it's unbelievable. What kind of lachaim did you have when you heard about the '91? What kind of celebration was <laughs> uh, there at the Flam Winery? Was it a big deal? Was it as big as Jay's say? That's quite a score, Jay. Yeah, sure. Over a ninety. Yeah, we know that's a big deal. It is a big deal. Uh, the Flam Winery in Israel. Information, I assume, there's a website. What should people do? Yeah, uh, www. dot Simple as that. Flam You can meet the Flam brothers in the Holy Land, and you can go on your next trip. A lot of people going at the end of December. A lot of people going at the end of January to Israel. You can go and enjoy. And and what are these? These three bottles, or which ones? Which ones are these? You have uh, all right. You have uh, Flam Classico, which is a yeah. uh, what they call a traditional Bordeaux. Bordelais type blend, Cabernet Merlot, and uh, we have here the Flamme Blanc. Mm-hmm. So actually, the Flamme Classico represents more the terroir or the land of the Judean Hills, which the vineyards are growing, and the Cab Reserve, which uh, one of our top uh, wines uh, coming from the Benzema Village. Uh, the, vil- the vineyards of the Benzema Village very very dense and uh, elegant. On the other side, aged for 14 months in French oak. Really very, very nice wine. Which one uh, goes to Gary Ambrose? Which one would be the most sophisticated one? If the cap. To, that's the cap? Bring it to Gary. That's the one. Ted, give him a big hug. That's me. the one where <coughs> Absolutely. You, know, you have that guy that you know that you on, only there. goes to the top of the line. That's yeah. the one you give him. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Jay's always bringing us great entertainment, I must say. Thank you to Gilad and Golan Flam. It's the Flam Winery. They're online, flamwinery.com, F-L-A-M. They have a great story of their brotherhood and their history of their family's business in the Holy Land. And we invite everybody to keep buying those Israeli wines, no matter where you're going, Le- you go. Leo or not. Leo uh, or not. <laughs> no matter where you're going. Lipa. Lipa. Actually, we went to Lipa the other night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, saw we, did, we went to Lipa. He brought together about 20 people from Teaneck. Nice. From, not from Teaneck. Uh, what's the big shul in um, the really big one that they just built up in uh, right next to Teaneck? Uh, Bergenville. Oh, Englewood, Englewood, right? And the president was there, Lee Lee Lasher, and his lovely wife Cheryl, and we had an unbelievable evening there. They brought in twenty five people, and <laughs> it was just it was just a lot of fun. Imagine that. Yeah. Um, so you can uh, go and uh, continue to support the Israeli wineries. We continue to encourage it. Jay, thank you. Have a great Shabbos, kiddo. Thank, thank you. you. Gilad and Golan, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Dash Cham to everybody at the Flam Winery.
Thank you. They, they know what Dash Ham means, I don't right? know. Yeah. Oh, you don't know what it means? <laughs> no, what does it mean? It, it means like best regards. Okay. Rishat Shalom. Dash. Okay, Rishat Shalom. This is where your Williamsburg background, again, does not come in handy, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens. Uh, more coming up. It's a Friday morning. Uh, say it again, I'm sorry? Say it in Yiddish. And I, I should say it in Yiddish. You'd, you'd know it in a second. Um, yeah, I guess it would be Zaygezunt. Zaygezunt. How do you say best regards in Yiddish? How do you do that? Alice Gitz. Alice Gitz? Yeah. Nah, you're not, you're well, not getting all it right. good. You're know. not getting it Right. Best regards. You want someone to to convey best regards to somebody in Yiddish? What would you say? Our listener is going to pounce on Shika this. Greece. That's it. That's the way yeah. to do it. Otherwise, you're going to get pounded. Shika Greece. Shika Greece. Send regards. Send yeah. regards. And that means in a positive way. There you go. Uh, more coming up. Weekly update. Malcolm Holmline and plenty more on a Friday morning. This is JM in the AM. Oh, I 
J.M. and the A.M. David Dardashti with Drory Crowley. Krat Shabbat done by Shlomo Katz. 24 minutes before 8 o'clock. I want to thank the Flom brothers who are here visiting from their winery in Israel. And a big thank you to Jay Booksbaum. Number one kosher wine sommelier. He's always bringing us interesting guests. So we encourage everybody to continue to uh, buy wines from Israel. Uh, helps the Israeli economy more than you'll ever realize. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayeshev. Candle lighting at 4.09 on this Erev Shabbos. Tuesday night is Hanukkah. Benny Friedman with his brand new CD joins us Monday at JM in the AM. Oh, there's so much great stuff going on out there. Always excitement pre-Hanukkah. Always excitement. 32 degrees, mostly sunny, a high of 37 JM and the AM Friday. Malcolm Holmline coming up with a weekly update. We'll do that coming up in just a couple of minutes here at JM and the AM. Rabbi Yudin, of course, at 8.15. Matis has JM Sunday on Sunday morning. Sunday night at 7. Elliot Weiselberg with Court Report with all the Yeshiva League news. And it's a Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami. That starts at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern Time on our stream tomorrow night at JM and the AM. .org. A pre-Hanukkah spectacular for the whole family is being hosted by the Young Israel of Bayswater, featuring the amazing New York Boys Choir and their brand new song, Judah Maccabee, uh, also featuring a massive, uh, a very popular, I should say, massively popular Chinese acrobat. Uh, the New York Boys Choir will be in concert this Saturday night, tomorrow evening at 8.30, with a special raffle and treats for the kids at the Young Israel of Bayswater on Healy Avenue in Far Rockaway. Uh, information, you can contact the synagogue. That's a big pre-Hanukkah spectacular happening out in Bayswater. JM in the AM. Don't forget our Facebook update page, uh, Nahum Siegel Network, simply entitled Nahum Siegel Network. That's how you get in, uh, into our social media stuff. Um, this uh, Sunday, on JM Sunday, Matis will speak with Moshe Kindelera, co-founder and co-publisher of the Jewish Link of Bergen County. They are expanding to other counties they are expanding to other counties. So Moshe Kindler is going to join Matis on JM Sunday. Also, Aviva Kanoff will talk about her brand new cookbook, Gluten Free Around the World. That's all happening Sunday on JM Sunday with a Matis Wine Guest. And don't forget that Naomi Nachman follows at 9 a.m. this morning. Table for two includes Gail Rand from kosherfoodiebox.com, Reviton Danit Schusterman from Chabad Maui. Oh, that's cool. And Alexander Rappaport from Masbia, they're all going to be joining Naomi between 9 and 10 this morning right after JM in the AM. That should be a lot of fun. Big thank you to our friends at Gourmet Glot for hosting us yesterday for our pre-Hanukkah celebration. Big thank you to Yitzhak Saflis and everybody at the Executive Business Conference for making it such an amazing day on Wednesday. It was really a successful business conference hosted by Bottom Line Marketing Group. And a big thank you to our friends at Manischewitz and Manhattan Day School and CKCA and Michaels for making the stunt show so cool this week. If you missed the video and the audio of uh, the four MDS students teamed up with professional chefs in trying to build the Manischewitz Hanukkah house, you can go to my website and check it out in the video section at NachumSiegel.com. It was a very, very cool show, and I thank everybody who was involved. JM in the AM as we continue. This is... From Aaron Razel.
Razel, Yom Shabbosan is the name of that selection. Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos, Parshas Vayeshev, candle lighting at 4.09 on this Erev Shabbos. Chanukah begins Tuesday night. Tuesday night, Chanukah. Let's light up the world. Especially when we think the uh, news and the atmosphere is gloomy. Thank God we have Chanukah to remind us that the uh, the light goes very far. JM and the AM on this Friday with 32 degrees, mostly sunny, a high temperature of 37. Looks like it's supposed to warm up a bit over the weekend. Chabad Telethon is coming up on Sunday night. Looking forward to it. And I'm sure Rabbi Pearl and his uh, entire staff and organization is looking forward to it. Chabad Telethon is always a lot of fun. And it happens beginning this uh, Sunday night at 7 p.m. Check local listings, as they say, and you can uh, watch it between 7 and 11 Eastern Time. And we'll give you some of that information on the website, etc., a little later on here at JM and the AM. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice... Oh, before I introduce Malcolm, I just want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue every week to enthusiastically recommend our live stream to everybody. And uh, 
We will continue to recommend that if you're looking for comprehensive articles about what's happening in this crazy world of ours, they have a way of compiling them in a very interesting and organized fashion. Check out jewishworldview.com. And if you're printing out all their stuff before Shabbos, good luck trying to get through it on a short Shabbos. Well, maybe tonight. It's a long Friday night. Uh, Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Oh, one second, I apologize. There we go. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Malcolm. Good morning. Uh, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> one incident, and all of a sudden, at least based on my research, synagogues are starting to approach security a little differently. We know what happened this week in Crown Heights. Um, you know, the, uh, according to reports, this, uh, uh, this, um, um, uh, perpetrator was specifically telling everybody he wanted to kill a Jew. Yet, of course, afterwards he's painted as some type of mental patient and, you know, not all there, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Do we call this like a, a hybrid situation, a combination terror attack? Slash madman. I think there's a hesitation in New York City to label this as a hate crime against Jews. And not just in New York City. I think that there's a general resistance. It used to be said that the, the police were reluctant to label things as anti-Semitic or other things because once it's a hate crime, it becomes the statistic and it, uh, you, the feds come in and uh, therefore there was a reluctance to do so. In this case, I think it follows what we've seen in, in several instances, and that's a, a reluctance, and sometimes it's warranted. You know, that you can't have somebody who's really not made it motivated by anti-Semitism per se, but is mentally mental patient, and this guy was uh, off his meds, et cetera, et cetera. But clearly, there was this element, and the refusal to, to acknowledge it and to treat it, and I think the mayor going out to, to Crown Heights was an important gesture, but we should hear more about it because there's a failure or reluctance to acknowledge anti-Semitic incidents when the vast majority of hate crimes in America are against Jews, not against Muslims, which gets immediate coverage and reaction. It is it is against Jews, and this recognition at least will bring um, perhaps additional attention. I think the NYPD has proven in the past that it's sensitive to, to, to these issues and sending additional police on holidays to synagogues, and most of all in our own community, a willingness to acknowledge facts, not to create panic, not to exaggerate and, and to, to exploit issues. But we see always the immediate reaction for a day, for three days, for a week, and then it dissipates. Yeah, the mental condition of this man, the attacker, uh, has really clouded the situation because it sounds like you would classify this, I don't know if we'd say terror attack, but certainly a hate crime against Jews. And that should put, instead of keeping it as an isolated incident and considering it that way, it should put everybody on the alert that every single venue that has any type of Jewish identity is a target. And it, it, it absolutely, that, that all of us can be victims and it can be uh, truly just uh, coincidental that it's a Jewish target or it can be deliberately chosen as a Jewish target. But the message, the over, the long-term message here is that here's somebody who got into the building before and steps were, were taken. Some There is a police uh, uh, presence. presence 
uh, outside of, of 770, so there was a quick response. But uh, you could the, the, this could have been a much greater disaster uh, had had there not been that immediate uh, response in the presence of the police officer there. So people, we have to look at ways, and uh, you know we've set up scan your community network if they go to the website scan us scnus.org there's a lot of advice on what to do what synagogues can do things that don't cost a lot of money and as you know there are grants many many jewish institutions have applied for them and gotten them from the federal government everybody should apply put up cameras around the synagogues train people to be aware and to to respond appropriately have the connection to the police ready if, if there, God forbid, something happens. There's a lot that can be done, but it can't each time be that, that for the next 15 minutes after an attack, everybody's aware. We saw it after the attack in Seattle, in L.A., and other places. And then so quickly it dissipates, and when you tell people, look, here's what you can do, here are the sites you can go to, schools call me and say, listen, we, we want to do it, and we will send people to help train them and look at the guards. You know, when we checked the guards in various places around the country, we found out that a third of them had criminal records. Oh, boy. So it's not just what you do, it's how you do it, having the knowledge, and the knowledge is available, and the police will come and give you advice on, on the security as well. By, I'm sorry, by the... DHS does it, too. Say it again? And the Department of Homeland Security has people who will do it, and... We recently met, you know, the NRA has 65,000 people around the country. They said, we're ready to go and help guide Jewish institutions, not just with getting guns, but in terms of security measures. There are a lot of resources that have to be tapped into. You know, the um, it, what was interesting is if, in fact, and I have no reason to believe it's not, if, in fact, this is what the perpetrator was saying as he was, you know, attempting to and successfully stab this young man, for whose speedy recovery we pray, um, it, it tells you something about incitement. Here you have a quote-unquote mental patient, you know, somebody with mental problems, and one of the things that they're chanting as they do this is, you know, is anti-Jewish, is anti-Semitic. And, you know, we always talk incitement in Israel and how it has an effect on people. Here we see that somebody who obviously grew up or, you know, has recently been in an environment where people speak like this and have, you know, thoughts like this and, and spread the word, uh, uh, you know, about those thoughts, it, it shows you what kind of effect it can have on somebody. Absolutely right. That the and, and it's a climate that's created. Again, it doesn't mean in every instance that this is a plot and that there are other ties, but in so many of the times that everybody, that people say, lone gunman, lone, no, that's not true. You're right. It's a, a climate is created, and it's not just Jews. If you look at the what ISIS and all of these groups are doing, now it's spreading the beheadings and the, uh, these brutal uh, physical assaults done in organized fashions that uh, people tend to, to dismiss and, and, and not realize the origins of a lot of these things. And it can be in a prison. It can be, you know, they just uh, had some articles about the Islamic State, one of their senior commanders, and it talks about how the origin of the group was in an Iraqi prison under, the, uh, under American control. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, we don't realize sometimes in this hub of safety and security, relatively speaking, we do not realize what is happening in this world of ours. And in America, people think that, you know, we look at Europe and it's easier to see it when it's far away. Yeah. But, you know, uh, Germany arrested 300 people and announced a prosecution against 300 people for uh, supporting ISIS. 
there are arrests going on all over of people who are in Syria, who are training, who are, and, and the vast majority of those who are there and training in Raqqa for terrorist attacks abroad, and the Khordosh group, which is specifically established to carry out terrorist attacks abroad by al-Qaeda, that uh, we have not yet begun to see the impact of some of these groups. Um, by the way, uh, a little bit off topic, but I know we'll get to it eventually, and you just reminded me about it when uh, you talked about how tough we have to be on these groups. Uh, Reuters claims that Israel will not press Washington to tighten sanctions on Iran while nuclear negotiations continue for the next six months, but they'll push for tough action if the talks June deadline is not met. This according to a senior Israeli official. Is this officially the first victim of the early Israeli elections? Because I alluded to last week, I don't know if you agree, that uh, now that the campaign has begun and this whole process has begun, Israeli pressure on the U.S. and others uh, to really crack down on Iran ha- has to lighten up because, you know, there's a there's obviously a big leadership question mark right now in Israel. Well, I don't think that's necessarily true. You know, there are people who will argue the opposite, and that is that taking a tough stand on Iran is a, is a popular position in Israel and pressing for actions to, to punish Iran for its violations. And as you saw this past week, they, they found a violation, and, and I'm sure you it's one of many, that uh, they, were, they were importing parts uh, in violation of the Security Council resolutions, in violation of the uh, JPOA, the Joint Agreement, uh, parts for the plutonium reactor. And, by the way, when you violate it, the, the message the administration had put out early on was that if they violate it, we will support additional sanctions. Mm. And we have not seen that support, obviously, right. now with Congress out. You're not likely to see anything until uh, January, so Israel's not backing, doesn't have to back off. It's, uh, Congress is not in session, and the administration is not going to put forward uh, new sanctions. They're, they are implementing the ones in place, and they have uh, periodically named additional um, individuals or agent, uh, institutions as targets uh, of the sanctions. So the announcement that you're referencing is is um, is it, it, I think the reaction is a different one. And Netanyahu's moderate reaction, and in fact portrayed in the media as welcoming the Iranian decision, was based on the fact that he thought they were going to accept a much worse decision, which is the one and the plan, which is the one that was uh, being negotiated between the P uh, five plus one, the permanent five, and uh, and Germany. Uh, the, Israel's fear was that they would accept that at this time and then finalize it. It's not the case. They didn't accept it. There are a lot of open issues. The number of centrifuges, the transparency, the, the weaponization, there are uh, critical issues that are, uh, remain open. In other words, there would not have been a June deadline if that would have been accepted. There would, there, that's right. There would have been, a, there would have been a, an extension to work out the details. This right. way they have four months now to come to an agreement, and then the seven months is when the final agreement is to be presented. But in principle, that would be done within the, the four months. And as you know, Secretary Kerry and Prime Minister Netanyahu are meeting in Rome right. uh, over the, on Sunday. But it's not going to focus so much on Iran. This is going to focus on the PA's movements at the... Uh, at the United Nations. you got to give me something, Malcolm, on this uh, you know, victim of the Israeli campaign. You know, we're, we're trying to convince people it's a bad idea, and I know I'm, I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek because we know it's a bad idea for many reasons, but I, you know, that I, I would think that uh, with this lull 
with this, you know, with this uh, break in leadership. And you see, by the way, you know, those who think that Netanyahu is in a great position of power already, we see alliances that are doing their best to get together and, and defeat him. So that's you'd... right, and I think that, that nobody wants a controversy while you're running or anything that could be portrayed in a negative way that that U.S.-Israel relations have suffered and that, that to put it back on track, you need new leadership. Uh, but you know, it works both ways. There are people in the administration who are arguing against certain measures that are being contemplated involving Israel, and especially about settlement uh, construction or construction even in Jerusalem, because. They think it'll help Netanyahu if, if they attack him. You know, the administration is not popular in Israel. They would say that the, uh, an action against the, on, on that issue would give Netanyahu another electoral issue and would give him a boost amongst the, the constituency. Right. So uh, things work in many strange ways in this. But Israel uh, is showing and is still going after Iran in very strong ways. What they The, the bombings in, in Syria, these are the eighth this year, took out very serious places, uh, warehouses with huge stockpiles of weapons, including rockets. And this came from Hezbollah. Uh, um, spokespeople and publications acknowledged that these were um, this was material belonging to Hezbollah on its way. These are new smuggling routes that they've uh, they developed. And it's another way that, that Iran is cheating. Uh, you saw also that Hamas was in Tehran this week, and they are reconciling. You see that their activities in Yemen continue, and now, and I've talked about the the four, the, the what Khamenei said that for the first time, Shiites control four Arab capitals: Yemen, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq. I will add a fifth, and that's Sudan. And you will see the increased activity and the presence, and the fact that you have a battalion of IRGC there. They're building air bases, security systems. This will be number five, and the so Iran is using all this time uh, to move ahead. Israel is not sitting on its hands. Obviously, it cannot uh, tolerate these advanced weapons getting uh, uh, into the hands of uh, of Hezbollah, which already has this huge stockpile uh, of weapons. The so the the political overtones obviously have implications. What's Israel's relationship with Sudan? Terrible. Obviously, Sudan has been the staging ground for distribution of weapons into Africa, Libya, Sinai, Gaza. So Iran basically has expanded. That's what it is. They, you know, moving all the time. As is ISIS and the, and the new the new strategy. So it's crazy for the United States to even concentrate on trying to inspect in Iran itself at this point. No, well, that's in terms of the nuclear program. This, all these things are still using conventional means and and. What, what you're, where you're right is that, that if you augment it by having, uh, if Iran had a nuclear weapon or the intimidation capability of saying we are, are there, we just have to assemble it, uh, it will make it all the more. But you have Iran continue to extend its influence, uh, engaging in all these subversive activities, supporting, getting more of an, an inroad all the time into Iraq and the bombing, you know, that was announced, uh, even though the United States said they didn't coordinated and we didn't know you see the reaction which i said last week there's nobody believes that they right. can't believe that we would put our pilots at risk or that, that it's not being coordinated through the uh, iraqi government right. and isis is now targeting saudi arabia and uh, bahrain and other uh, uh, other countries and they talk about a new strategy which is similar meaning that they learn you take territory you go do what you can in syria in iraq and then you move on and the next place they're going to try to move on 
and is in the eastern quarters in where the Shiite population resides in Saudi Arabia. They're going to uh, look at um, they are operative in other countries uh, to use. They use their terror. They use it to recruit people. They use it to gain resources, and they will also be targeting more and more the West. Uh, Malcolm Honline is with us. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Manhope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios here in Jersey City, New Jersey. Welcome those who are tuned in around the world on the NSN app for iPhone and Android. couple of election questions, if I may. I've been asked this more than once in the last week. It may just be a technical issue uh, that could answer it. it. Was it impossible for the prime minister before the dissolution of the government to form another coalition? In other words, not to be too uh, cynical, if in fact he was going to make a deal eventually, which he's going to have to do with whatever new partner, if he, if he does in fact find himself in a position of power to make a deal, you know, once the uh, March elections are over, and he would have to make a deal with smaller parties anyway, wouldn't he have been able to bring those smaller parties into a coalition government now and not ha- and not uh, completely dissolve the government, or it doesn't work that way? It is actually a good question. It's one that's being asked because the people really didn't want an election. I've yet to meet anybody who really says that they wanted an election, including candidates in it. Well, I would think the prime minister would love that system, if legal, better than going to new elections. So it is legal. He could have put together a new coalition. But once he fired them, and he there were entreaties made to some of the smaller parties, religious parties and others. I know that um, they, it was true also of Lapid, and he denied it. But they have said that they would take a lie detector test. Uh, to show that, that in fact, he had reached out to the religious parties to talk about creating an alternative government that they would have put together, you know, a, a majority of the Knesset members. If, I think if Netanyahu felt that he could really do it, he would have done it. Mm. I think under the circumstances, he felt this was uh, the better option. And, of course, he was riding high in the polls, and now we see that, uh, you know, he's vulnerable. I wouldn't take all of the reports and all of these uh, predictions now too seriously. Israelis are notorious for telling the truth to pollsters and lying at the polls so that whatever people predict is not the case. The immediate uh, jump in Labor Party because of Livni joining uh, Bougie Herzog, it does reflect something, but I think that those numbers will will change uh, radically during the period of up-down, but they will change. They're they're, They're proposing a system where each of them rules for two years. Yes, and it's not very popular. Yeah, that in itself should be a death knell. And, I mean, well, it's not going to be a death knell. Remember, we had it between Perez and Shamir. Yeah, but that was by default. That wasn't going into the election. I agree. It is different, and I the reaction I hear to it is is not good. And, and it hasn't been approved yet by the Labor Party, so he could find the Bougie uh, Herzog could find himself with some problems in that. Look, people get tired, and Netanyahu has been in a long time. This government's just two years old, but the average Israeli government lasts two and a half years. So it's not that uh, different. It's the it's a victim of the system, uh, of the you know the lists, and which inherently create unstable governments unless you have somebody wins an overwhelming majority. And and depends what you do with it. I still think the main issues are the domestic. On the outside issues, they agree. On Iran, you have overwhelming support. On dealing with the PA, with other things. And and the vast majority of Israelis, left and right, don't believe that there's a real opportunity with Abbas now for peace. So it's it's, it's going to focus largely on the domestic 
economic issues. There, Netanyahu had a big advantage because he stabilized the economy as Minister of Finance, and they credit him with a lot of the longer-term uh, benefits, but right now I, you don't hear that being argued. The election, uh, you know, will go through so many mutations over the next uh, couple of months, and I believe that when the people go into the booth, they really make a decision about who they think can be capable of being prime minister. And that, that's really the issue I hear most debated is, are there alternatives? What are the alternatives? Who can really, you know, lead the country in, in this very critical time domestically and internationally? The uh, early could the primary elections he got, I, I don't know if that one week difference is what kept out Gidon Saar, but Gidon Saar is basically out at this point, right? That's not what he, he I think he, I met with him a couple of weeks ago and my sense was that he would not enter the politics, go in, and I think he's right. You know, sometimes when you step back, people reassess, they miss you, they want you back, and, you know, he's young, he could run for prime minister again the next time. Yeah, which I guess would be in about 11 months or so, right? <laughs> three minutes. <laughs> Eli Yishai is leaving Shas or not? That's a good question. Uh, it's not clear, and uh, he got... Permission, it seems, from some of the Haredi leaders for a new party uh, with uh, with Ariel, and we'll have to see. I don't know. Actually, it's a it's a tough one. And Moshe Kachlon has named his party Kulanu, and I thought it was ironic that it took 66 years for there be, for there to be a Kulanu party in Israel. <laughs> well, that doesn't mean there wasn't one in the past. <laughs> there may have been. Well, you're right. Shopping name. <laughs> you're right. There may have been. <laughs> I should check that out. <laughs> and and, uh, and the fact that the uh, Sephardic and primarily religious uh, parts of, uh, parties in in Shas are splitting, um, this this could be a real problem. And he and and Derry gave him uh, a lot, you know, in the discussions in terms of promoting uh, Yishai, mm. uh, and the fact that um, the Tukuma faction leader Uri Ariel would split from the Jewish home and join him. Uh, plus, yeah, we have to see who, who will join um, uh, the uh, Kachalan, who could be the kingmaker. And I think I said this two weeks ago and a week ago when, when we discussed it, and people don't, don't yet, uh, I think, take him seriously enough that he could be, depending upon who he gets into the party and what kind of a platform, how, what kind of uh, negotiator he is, uh, could be uh, a critical factor. You could we see the attempted alliances between Lieberman and um, and Kachlan and maybe uh, Lapid or maybe others. Uh, it's it's all very volatile right now, and there'll be a lot of shifting, and we'll have to see what happens. And it depends also on what happens to Israel. If God forbid there's terrorist attacks, if there was today, you know, with the acid thrown at these uh, Jewish women. Uh, the uh, continued incitement, etc. There are a lot of things that will affect the outcome of this election and who people have a real sense of confidence in. Oh, no question about that. Um, the, there are uh, Israelis living abroad, meaning living outside of Israel, uh, many of them supposedly, at least what we read, who are planning on going back to Israel on Election Day to vote. In fact, they were looking for discounts on planes uh, and hoping that the Israeli government would, in fact, influence certain airlines to offer discounts they can go back and vote i i find that interesting um i don't know what happens with people outside the united states when it comes to elections which uh, what percentage of them are interested in making sure that they somehow cast a ballot there's no absentee ballot in israel you got to be in the country are you surprised that so many who live outside of israel want to be part of it 
No, I think that, that, that it's always been the case, and it sometimes is a distortion, but uh, people, uh, I think it shows still their commitment, even if they're living abroad. The um, uh, What impact it has, they tend to vote more for, let's say, center-left, for right parties, um, and, and but but always the number of people flying home that week, the week of an election, is is always very significant. Yeah, um, I, the outcome is already predetermined. Well, yeah, but based on your theory, time, I think it'll be much higher because I think it'll be close. Uh, in, 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 as we get closer to it, it will still be a very close election. Right, but even generally, based on your theory, you would say it, 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 there's never, uh, you know, it, it, it's never. We never know what's going to be because, again, the polls are so unreliable in Israel. So, yes. and as you said, you know, Kahlan is now designated the chairman of Kulano till 2023. So even when you have a new party comes in, the, the messages that they send sometimes really turn off the uh, Israeli uh, voters and. You know, they, they feel sometimes that it doesn't make a difference. It does make a difference, and they, and they remain very committed to the system and to, to voting and to participation, which is much higher than elections here. Based on history, I wonder uh, what the likelihood is that a new party will last 10 years in Israel. We'd have to look, I guess. The, the history of new parties, they, you know, the road is littered with the uh, right. signs and, the uh, you know, the... Um, advertisements for, for different political parties that yeah. ran once or ran twice. And yeah, c- collect those Kulanu billboards now. They'll be worth a bunch in a decade from now. Who <laughs> <laughs> remembers Dash and all these other Oh, things. are you kidding? We consider all day naming names. <laughs> Malcolm, I want you to schlep back a Kulanu billboard the next time in your suitcase, <laughs> the next time you go to Israel. Uh, the the Irish Parliament has now joined... I mean, I don't know, I don't know if you have the scorecard in front of you, but now how many European countries have in some way recognized the Palestinian state? Too many, and uh, they follow France, Spain. Uh, it's almost become an everyday thing. I- Ireland actually had indicated long ago, and I reported this maybe a month ago, that they were going to do it, so it was not really something new that or unexpected. The real uh, change, and, and so it's, it's at least seven, eight, and, and the, the EU itself is considering a resolution, but the resolution will not so much be the recognition, but it's the criticism of Israel, and and uh, what we saw this week that the PA was accepted as an observer at the International Criminal Court opens up new opportunities for them to try and go after Israel, but it also opens opportunities to go after the PA for war crimes, which is what they will charge Israel with, and they will name specific commanders and specific officers uh, from the Gaza War, from other uh, uh, occasions. What does it do for Palestinian statehood recognition of the UN? That's an interesting question because it is related, not not uh, in the system, but uh, it could be a, a trade-off. That's one of the things that he has threatened along that is if he doesn't get his resolution in the Security Council, and I believe that there is a possibility they will get a resolution in the Security Council not recognizing the Palestinian Authority but criticizing Israel and the settlement issues. There's a French uh, resolution, and I think all the talk about sanctions against Israel, they're not going to be sanctions against Israel. Congress would never approve it. The American people wouldn't support it, and I don't think the administration would do it. But what they may do is try to punish and send a, quote, strong message to Israel, and that could be in the form of a resolution which the United States does not veto in the Security Council that criticizes Israel's construction in Jerusalem and uh, elsewhere. 
hmm. for the PA. They may claim that as a victory. Uh, he, he, there is uh, across the board, I think, opposition uh, between Europeans and U.S. to their declaration of independent state and, and using the Security Council to somehow set a deadline for talks or to to recognize it. Um, but I, I think that they will give. He will gain, continue to gain status at different agencies as he said he would, and he can. We'll have to see whether the same treatment that uh, will apply of America cutting off funding and Congress, I can tell you, certainly the new Congress will be in the mood to cut funding to the PA. Uh, these, are, these are all questions that we are trying to address and anticipate and look at. Um, but there are a lot, of, a lot of things that are at play right now. Wow. Uh, the PA minister who died this week, any evidence if, in fact, Israeli forces are responsible for that death? No, even the even the Palestinian uh, uh, who conducted the autopsy, the doctor, and uh, and others, the Israelis all came to the same conclusion. But I mean, it was obviously in the incident, and in that he he had clogged the arteries or something, and they it, it was activated, and then he had the uh, um, the attack, and that that's what killed him. But they also prevented Israeli doctors from from treating him. People there on the site, and maybe that would have saved his life as well. But but, you know, you had films of it. People know what happened exactly. It wasn't a confrontation situation. He was participating in a demonstration. and uh, But it was not an Israeli blow or anything else that caused his death. Seems to be at least one question a week that uh, a, a large number, a relatively large number of listeners ask me to try to include. And this week, as you would suspect, it's the waterboarding and torture report that we saw regarding the CIA and its CIA officers. Um, people want a perspective, Malcolm, both in terms of uh, fighting terrorism and uh, in terms of our role as uh, uh, as you know members of the Jewish faith and what position we should be taking when it comes to this type of action against uh, prisoners, against those from whom we're trying to get intelligence and you know important information. What's your assessment of the report this week? Again, I, I don't follow. Uh the debates on this so, uh, as carefully uh, as I do other issues because it's uh, it's not something where we would get involved in and it's uh, we have so many things going on right now as it is I don't sleep and I would have to have another issue to keep me awake <laughs> but uh, I think we have to think about the implications abroad about how this was released about the facts about what what America can tolerate can allow, but again, when you're in a war of terror, in an asymmetric war, you have to use unusual means. And you know, we, we have often sent people to other countries where these practices are more accepted. And if you look at the enemy that we're fighting, that will utilize every means. And I'm not saying that is a license to do uh, uh, anything. It's not. But you need. When, when you have smoking guns everywhere, you need to engage sometimes in practices that are otherwise, uh, uh, you would not otherwise, and I think America does not. I don't think most Western countries do. The uh, Europeans have, have uh, systems also, you know, they, they can all dump on the United States except till they get exposed for some of the things they're doing. And we know that uh, people were sent from France and that places to, to other countries for interrogation. You know, we have to balance it. It, it, is a, it is a very difficult and complex question. 
Um, I was wondering why it takes so many years for a report like this. I don't know why it takes uh, another question, and then they dump, they 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 blame one administration or another. Right. When we know that this has been going on through numerous administrations, and uh, and whether the military and others who, who engage in it felt that they had no option, they, that after nine eleven, what what would they have used? What means would they have used to try and find out if there was another attack being planned? Was it was nine uh, eleven isolated? Was there? You know, we captured some people. Would the, would they talk and tell us about other things? And Israel is the one facing this every day. You know, you see the attacks, and if they find one, and often, you know, there could be three, four suicide bombers or attackers in in take uh, working uh, in coordination, and that it is people who give them the information. It's on the ground intelligence that enables them to to foil most of the attacks that are, are planned. Yeah, it's it's a tough one because we know the general, and I say general, position of the media in this country regarding this issue. It's very hard to get that message out. Meaning the other side it's of the legitimate issue. issue, people aren't concerned right. about about you know the, the how does a democracy right. set the limits. But again, you know, we, we're not dealing in you know in the time of the American Revolution where everybody lined up on two sides and they just shot each other, and we knew who had what weapons. Here you have a group that, that thrives on the fact that they can work through domestic populations, look at the recruitment of young people here in the United States, in Europe, and elsewhere, who can use the Internet today to train people to carry out horrific attacks. And there are attacks being uh, perpetrated in the United States or being prevented in the United States. And you see how the Arab countries are, are, are dealing with it. You know, Egypt uh, caught the guys who hijacked an Egyptian naval missile boat. I don't know how they uh, treated them, but they got the information that they were really on the way to, to hijack an Israeli ship. They're, they're being attacked all the time. Their soldiers are being killed. And we come down very hard on Egypt about the, the nature of the response. The question is, what, what options do countries have today when you face an enemy that has no restrictions, that has no limits? It will do everything. You know, Iran is, is the same thing. They... they you know, started a campaign, We Love Fighting Israel campaign, where they have teenagers all over the country, where you have the U.N. Uh, calling for to wipe Israel off the earth. And you know that there are people who respond to these genocidal threats. Even the United Nations, uh, the advisor on the prevention of genocide, had to come out and make a statement that this is unacceptable. Unacceptable? This is outrageous. It's a member country of the United Nations. And... And our people are motivated. The attacks on, on uh, about Al-Aqsa, and you see that the 86% of Palestinians believe that Israel is is destroying or, or threatening the uh, Al-Aqsa, and 80% support violence and the attacks on on Israelis. So you're 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 dealing with a situation where it's not an individual or an isolated group that engages in these activities, but people who are broad-based populations that are influenced. Uh, by these, you, you, the crown prince of, of Bahrain, which as you know is an Arab, uh, small country, wealthy, run by the Khalifa, Al Khalifa family. The crown prince, I think his name is Salman bin Hamad Al Khalifa, uh, said this is not a war on terrorism. Stop using the term. This is a war against the rise of evil theocracies, people driven by these radical extremist uh, ideologies and beliefs and religious beliefs and he said it must be named shamed contained and ultimately defeated and he you know the, the clarity with which he said this in a country that is facing iranian uh, interventions and undermining uh, uh, of the regime 
they see it clearly, and and we have to look at this not in the context it, it, in in isolation. You have to look at how the laws are applied, etc. Yeah. But you also have to look at it in the broader uh, uh, context of what we're we're, we're facing today. And, and they're uh, moving across borders. They move around the world. They're targeting, you know, areas in the Caucasus. Now the Russians are are, are you know all of a sudden getting concerned because the stands and because of the Caucasus where you see the rise of Islamists. And, and, and Chinese fighters were found both in Syria and Iraq, coming from the western province of China, from Xinjiang, where you have an Islamist uh, uprising going on. And the incitement and the recruiting is going so well that the enemy is in the hundreds of millions, if not more. And maybe that's a good transition as we, you know, as we, as so many people on Friday mornings, uh, uh, unfortunately, take away hopelessness uh, from our conversation. Maybe this is a good time to remind everybody that we're about to start a holiday where the few were able to overcome the mighty and the larger numbers. And remember that in the context of history, which you always tell us is so important to always keep in the forefront of our minds, in the context of history, we have seen this before. Yes, and we, we should look at the reality that what I'm telling you is that it's not Israel that's the target. The Arab countries themselves, every one of them, the Muslim countries are all targets. And the battle that Israel fought for 50 years, 60 years alone, now has engaged the West, the others, and Israel is not even the primary target anymore. They, they, they outlined uh, Khamenei and the head of the IRGC spoke about the first target is Rome and the Crusaders, meaning Christians and, uh, and the West. The second in Israel, third, Mecca and Medina. That, uh, it, I think it is a, a, a much better situation in this sense that Israel has, uh, uh, is not the sole target, and it's not just Israelis who, who have, have uh, come under fire. And in fact, if anything, Israel, in many respects, seems to be the best equipped in handling uh, terrorism, and, and their security still do an amazing job in preventing uh, attacks. But everybody, every European country today is under siege in, in the, on these issues. You saw the attacker this week was the nephew of one of the kidnappers uh, for the boys from June? Yes. So I'm, I'm just, I, I know that uh, we always talk about the family uh, relationships, the incitement, the closeness, etc. Again, and the, and certainly the uh, recidivism when, uh, when they leave the, the prisons. You see again that this whole pattern of uh, anti-Israel rhetoric, uh, you know, just continues to spread, whether it's relatives or or neighbors, etc. And you know what the reaction to Israel bombing in Syria, the most frequent reaction I got from officials, from people was, how come the United States can't do this? We're letting them fly. We're not doing anything. We could take out the Syrian Air Force in 25 minutes. Why? So Israel, in many respects, is, is defending itself in more forthright ways and has more support I think from amongst the American people for for taking a strong stand because they want a strong stand against terrorism because everybody knows that we all become victims of it. We've said the same thing with Iran. I mean, we were t- t- turning to the United States and saying the same thing. I don't know if it would take 25 minutes, but uh, certainly certainly they have the manpower to uh, to do a more efficient job than other countries including Israel would do. Well, Iran uh, actually poses a much greater threat because of its military capacity is uh, is better. But in the negotiations, if we really right. force, and the West would enforce, the United States is, if the West would enforce all of the, the sanctions, the people of Iran don't want this regime. Studies that have been done, it's uh, hard to do polling, but there, have been, there has been polling done. Young people don't want this regime, and we should be doing more to support them and to, to help assure that this regime doesn't have uh, 
a long light. All right, next week, Shabbos Chanukah. Wishing you a happy and wonderful Chanukah, Malcolm, and uh, have a wonderful Shabbos. You and all the listeners, and look at the lights and celebrate. Uh, that's for sure. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here. Friday mornings, JM in the AM. Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayeshev. Candle lighting is 4.09. Hanukkah begins Tuesday night. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos. With great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Vayeshev. Parshas Vayeshev is a very significant parsha for the theme of Hashkocha Pratis, literally God's intervention. A Ba'ofan Klali, in a broader sense, God controls and directs history, and then Ba'ofan Prati, in a very specific way. And you see this in the parsha regarding Yosef, and I urge everyone to, at the table, tonight, tomorrow, to bring up the idea that take Yosef's name out of the parsha and put your name, and each one should put their own name in. Namely, when Yosef is sent by his brother, by his father, to see his brothers, and his father says, go to Shechem. He goes to Shechem and the brothers are not there. So what should he have done? Having a premonition that the brothers don't like him, he should have gone right back home and said, Abba, I looked for them and couldn't find them. And what does the Torah tell us? Oh my goodness, that by Yimso'eyu Ish, a man finds him. Who's this man? Rashi tells us it is none other than the Malach Gavriel. God sends the man, the angel, to direct the course of history. And so, the Torah tells us that when Yosef was taken down to Egypt, and the Torah tells us this point of, quote, trivia as to what it was that the caravan of Yishma'elim were carrying, what was there, literally, wares that they were bringing down to Egypt. Now, I ask you, what's the difference? So the the commentaries tell us, and Rashi brings it, no, that the caravan was carrying Nechoos Utsri Volot, pleasant-smelling spices, as opposed to the usual foul-smelling cargo that the caravans usually carried. And this was God's way of winking at Yosef and saying to him, Yosef, I am with you even during this most difficult, challenging time and personal experience of your life. And so it is throughout the Parshios with Yosef. And I'd like to take this one step beyond and to show how Parshas Vayeshev, which every year is the Shabbos either before Hanukkah or if there is two Shabbos Hanukkah, this year there's only one, Parshas Miketz, but when there are two, Vayeshev is the first. And now to see how we can bridge and find the strong connection between Parshas Vayeshev and Mirza Hashem, the holiday of Hanukkah that we will be beginning this forthcoming Tuesday night. The Torah tells us when 
Yaakov says to Yosef that he should go and see how his brothers are doing in Shechem. So the Torah tells us in chapter 37, Pasuk 14, Vayishlochehu me'emek Hebron. Literally, he sent him, Yaakov sent Yosef from the depth of Hebron, and he goes to Shechem. Rashi picks up on this and says, wait a second, is not Hebron in the mountain, on an elevated part of the terrain? Why does it say Amek? So Rashi says that the Amek, the depths, refers to the one who is buried deep in Hebron, namely Avraham. The Torah is telling us on a deeper level that he is sending Yosef, unbeknownst to him, to fulfill the prophecy that was given to the one buried in Hebron, namely Avraham, that Ger Yezaracha, that his children, namely the descendants of Avraham, are going to be uh, slaves in a um, land which is not theirs. And this whole experience is beginning right now with Yaakov sending Yosef. This is one interpretation. I'd like to share with you, however, a different interpretation, namely that of the Chizkuni and that of the Das Zakenim. And they say that Vayishlochehu does not only mean that he sent him, the literal translation of Shin Ches, but it can also mean to escort him. And they send you back to Parshas Vayera. And there in Parshas Vayera, in chapter 18, Pasuk 16, the Torah says that when the three guests who Avraham extends hospitality to, not knowing that they are angels. The Torah says, Avraham holech imam l'shalcham. Literally, Avraham walked with them to, what does it mean, l'shalcham, to send them? Rashi says, levaya to escort them. There is a mitzvah of levaya to escort one's guests. How important is this mitzvah of Levaya? Exceedingly important. Why? What do we find, please God, coming up in Parshas Vayigash? In Parshas Vayigash, the Torah tells us that Yosef sends wagons with his brothers after he reveals himself to them, bring father down to Egypt in these wagons. And the Torah says, When Yaakov sees the wagons, His spirit became to life. And he, what, he believed them. Rashi brings that what appears to be nothing less than a cryptic medrash, which says the medrash is found in Bereshus Rabbah 94.3, Simon Masar Lohem, that Yosef was sending a sign to his father, Abba, after all, what were we talking about when I left you last? The Parshas Eglo Arufa. Eglo Arufa is found in the fifth book of the Torah, where the Torah says that if we should find a corpse right in the field, there is an entire ceremony that the closest city, 
uh, has to do the representation of the Sanhedrin from Yushalayim comes and the elders literally recite Yodeinu lo shavchu es hadam Our hands did not spill this blood. The Gemara in Sota 46b says, Oh my goodness, the Chial Libenu also. Shebezdin Shovchei Damim. Unbelievable. Who would have thought that the elders of the court were the ones that spilled this person's blood? But no, what it means is as follows. They are making a statement on behalf of the community. The person who unfortunately was killed, we did not let that person go out without provisions that he would have to either or rob from somebody else and they killed him or he was easy prey and we did not see him and let him leave the city without escort. It's so important to have escort. Why? Because what does escort imply? Escort implies that you are not alone, that you're part of a tzibur, you're part of a cloud, you're part of a group, and therefore people care about you. And therefore the highwaymen and the robbers will think twice about molesting such a person because others care about him. So... Yosef was sending a message to his father, Abba, you see the Agolos? It reminds me of your teaching to me, which you yourself implemented. The concept of being a part of a cloud, that you're not alone. Now, what is Hanukkah? Hanukkah, we know, is the victory of, literally, the Hashmonoyim, the Jewish people led by the Kohanim over the Yavanim, over the Greek Syrians. Now, the truth is, if one looks into the Torah, in Parshas Noach, after Noach, unfortunately, plants the vineyard, as soon as the, he, gets, he emerges from the Teva, and he gets drunk, and unfortunately, he is undressed according to the rabbis. Chum castrates his father. And now he's in this terrible, debased state. So the Torah tells us that his two sons, Shem and Yefes, Vayikach Shem Vayefes as Asimla. The Shem and Yefes take a garment. And they place it upon their father, giving him respect and dignity. The Torah says, Vayikach, in the singular, even though it's both, shame and yefes. But Rashi tells us, in the name of the rabbis, that what's happening here is, even though it's both, because shame was nisamets, bamitzvah, yoser miyefes, because he was more zealous, and more energetic in performing this mitzvah. Therefore, the Jewish people received the talis shel tzitzis as a reward, a midah keneged midah. Interestingly, Rav Salavechik, Zechron Levracha, and others point out, you can see the difference between shame and yefes, that they are motivated by Two very different motivations, and that is as follows. Yefes 
as the name itself implies, which is beauty. And the Torah tells us that Yavan, Greece, is a son, descendant of Yefes. Beauty, as we know, is individualistic. Tam v'reach, ein And basically, beauty and Yefes are defined by the aesthetic how a person feels. So, Yefes sees his father in this debased state, and it hurts him to see his father in such a way. And this is one kind of a response. On the other hand, shame sees and is concerned about the violation of the Tselem Elokim, of man being literally created in the image of God, that man is kodosh, he's holy, he's connected to something, he is not alone. So unfortunately, in the Hellenistic world order, man is at the center of the universe, and in the Jewish world order, it is God and the community which are at the center of the universe, as opposed to the individual. And the individual is an integral part of the community, and because he is, you can say that the whole is more than the sum of all its parts. By being part of Klai Yisrael, he contributes to and gleans from. The very act of marriage, Kedushin, which literally means holiness, is a point whereby the couple become a part of the Jewish community. It is a communal simcha, not just a simcha for the particular Chasan and Kala, but it creates a greater status of Klal Yisrael. And therefore, who are the ones that fight Yavan? It is the Kohanim. Because the Kohanim are the representatives of the people. The Kohanim don't have their own land. The Kohanim are the ones who are our representatives and belong to this Kohol. And what is Chanukah? Chanukah is Ne'er Ish Ubeso. The idea is that you can... As long as you're together with your family, Svardim have one menorah, and from the letter of the law, all you need, but Svardim have one menorah per household. It's a joining together. It's not like matzah, true we matzah in a seder with many other people, but there it's each person has to have their own piece of matzah. Each Jew has to put on his own tefillin. When it comes to near Hanukkah, no. It's, the idea is that we are we are connecting ourselves to others. And very, very interesting. I urge you to take a look in the Mishnah Brura on in Simon, Tafresh Ayin Bez, and it's Sivkatan. Yud Aleph, where the Machaber writes that you can, like near Hanukkah, 
all night. So he writes and he says, yes, but if a person comes home very late at night and nobody's up, so my goodness, this is the Chafetz Chaim. Now you can only imagine, was there a more gentle soul than the Chafetz Chaim? And what does the Chafetz Chaim say? That preferably what you should do under those conditions is, wake up somebody in the household, that you should be able to light the menorah because you shouldn't do it alone. The whole idea of Nerchanika is to connect. On the bottom, in the Sharat Siyun, he does say that you can rely upon others that say that even by yourself you can light the menorah without others being there. But the whole idea of Hanukkah is this concept of Ayishlochehu Me'emechevron, that Yaakov escorts Yosef, teaching him that you're not alone. And this is the concept that no Jew should ever be, quote, left alone. If a Jew comes into your shul, so even though you're not part of the official welcoming committee, you are. I am here by appointing you. You are part of a welcoming committee. Shalom Aleichem. It might make the difference if he'll ever come back again. Go over to him. Can I help you? Do you have the place, etc.? But it's not only that. A Jew doesn't come to shul for a couple of days. Give him a call. Where are you? We miss you. The idea of bringing and truly having a strong connection. In Mitzrayim, and Yavon, our rabbis tell us, is choshech, is darkness. Darkness means I can't see the next one. All I care about is myself. As it says in Mitzrayim, when it was dark, they didn't see one another. And in contrast, what is Chan? By us, there's light, there's caring, there's concern. And this is the beautiful mitzvah and aura of Hanukkah that, please God, we will be embracing this forthcoming Tuesday evening. Shabbat Shalom and a Freilach Hanukkah to all. J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos. Thank you, Rabbi Yudin. Candlelighting at 4.09 on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayeshev. I mentioned a few times this week that our good friend Michael Rollhouse, who I believe I last saw at Yankee Stadium, I think it was the last time I saw him, uh, he, he was embarking on a, uh, a fundraiser uh, that would have him climb all 140 stories of the Israeli Towers. There are three buildings in Tel Aviv, the Israeli Towers. You probably see them when you land in Israel. Uh, it's one of the sites as you're heading toward the Ben-Gurion Airport. 42, 46, and 52 floors, altogether 140 floors, and in a climb dedicated to IDF soldiers, he will, he set out to do that today. Since he's called in, I'm assuming he survived the ordeal. <laughs> Michael Rollhouse, welcome to JM in the AM. Yes, uh, thank God, Baruch Hashem, I did survive. And uh, yes, we, we've seen each other a lot at um, Yankee Stadium. When, when I don't go to my Daf Yomi share, that's where I usually am. That is correct. Um, yeah, but um, I feel great. Uh, this is my third time doing the Azrieli Towers, and uh, adrenaline really kicked in. And to uh, just give a couple minutes speaking about the fundraiser, which I... Um, engrossed in right now, standing together is really a very worthwhile project. But one second, before you tell us about standing together, I'm curious about a couple of things. Did you get a long break between buildings? Or you started right away on building two and then building three. <laughs> Basically, um, uh, the faster runners get a longer break because I'm the slowest of the fa- of the elite group. Uh, I get the shortest break of all. Wow. Um, 
So they get more of a break than I do, but we get about, I guess, between buildings. When you stop a building to the, take the elevator down to the next elevator, I guess you get about four to five minutes enough to catch your breath and uh, drink a little water and uh, on to the second building. And when you're heading into the 40s and 50s, of those buildings, uh, what's it like? I mean, I, I I know what it's like to walk up a few flights on a Shabbos. <laughs> what's it like to get to floor 40 or 50? You, you just want to finish it, and you just don't want to pass out. <laughs> and um, a- actually, the Israeli towers, they have the compressors on the roof of the buildings, and somehow in the stairwells you really hear it, and it gets really, really noisy. Um, in, in a way, it's very disturbing, such a noise uh, when you're climbing towards it. But then again, you know when you get a lot of noise, then you're actually finished and you're on the roof of each building. Michael Rollhouse is with us. He's in Israel. He's completed the Israeli Tower climb. What is Standing Together? Well, Standing Together is an organization uh, led by David Landau, who helps soldiers who don't have the means to outfit themselves properly in the cold winter months in Israel when they're guarding posts or whatever they may be doing uh, defending our homeland in Israel. Um, you know, he gets them different types of gear, uh, special gloves, um, sometimes uh, a microwave for a, sol- a sick soldier who might be in a, in a hospital, um, all different things. Uh, one thing I think is very important, it sounds silly, but I think it's very important, he goes sometimes to outposts with um, a Jeep and a pizza oven and delivers hot pizza to them, and it's really for the morale of soldiers I think it's really important that they don't forget that there's someone that actually out there cares about them. They're not all alone. You know, a lot of these soldiers are very young, between the ages of 20 and 25 and 30. Yeah. Um, it can be very uh, upsetting, you know. They're out in the middle of no place. It's cold. It's damp. And then all of a sudden, a jeep drives by with hot pizza and coffee and donuts. You know, something like that. Uh, it might not be very good for a stair climb right before a stair climb. Right. Those pizza <laughs> and donuts. But, but you know... These soldiers really appreciate it, and they, they love it. Michael, I hope that uh, people responded, and you got a lot of good sponsorships. How do people support the cause even after the climb has been completed? Well, there's no deadline in, in donating to this organization. They can go to the name of the organization. is called Standing Together, and the email address is stogether.org, and then stairs for winter gear. Uh, but you go on the website, or you can email uh, David Landau himself directly, 247IDF at Gmail. Or, of course, I would only be too happy to help people out. My email address is radiomike33 at gmail.com. Michael, great speaking to you. Congratulate. I was hoping we'd hear from you and that, uh, and that you wouldn't be panting, that you would have completely recovered from today's experience. Nope. Thank God. Always have time for Nachum Siegel and the great work that you're doing as well. Thanks, Michael. Our best to everybody in Yerushalayim. That's where he's going to be spending Shabbat. Friday morning broadcast, JM and the M on this Arab Shabbos Parshas Vayeshev. Website is stogether.org, stogether.org if you want to participate. Uh, a lot of things going on in our community. First of all, a huge happy birthday shout-out to Rabbi Yaakov Gifter of Staten Island. Yaakov, we hope you have a great day and a great birthday, Shabbos. Wishing you a fabulous year ahead with good health, Simcha, and Nachas. That comes from Iman Abba. Yeah, you know what that means. It means the people down in Florida are tuned into the show, thank God. Um, tomorrow night, 10th Annual Benefit Concert at Park East Synagogue. Chief Kenter Yitzchak Mayor Helfgott, Kenter Yaakov Motzen, 
6900 for information on that. A reminder to Project Ezra Dinner at Congregation Keter Torah tomorrow night. Ezra.org. Ezra with an H at the end.org. Don't forget the Congregation Talmud Torah of Flatbush. Ezra by Dr. Mayor Soloveitchik, 8 p.m. tomorrow night on what Menachem Begin taught me about Zionism. 8 p.m. tomorrow night, 1305 Coney Island Avenue in Brooklyn. Lincoln Square Synagogue tomorrow night. Features the original riveting documentary in one split second. Project Witnesses presentation tomorrow night at 8 p.m. will include Ellie Rosenbaum from the Department of Justice, Lincoln Square Synagogue at 180 Amsterdam Avenue in Manhattan. 718 Witness for information. 718 Witness for information on that. Don't forget Sunday, the annual Hanukkah Carnival joined project at Bris Avram, Shomri Torah, Nadas Israel, and the JEC Youth Department on Almora Avenue. This year's carnival, Sunday between 11 and 1.30. It's called the Mad Science Show with indoor fireworks and plenty more. That happens on Sunday in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Mazal tov to all the honorees at the Yeshiva University 90th Annual Hanukkah Dinner and Convocation going on at the Waldorf Astoria in New York City this coming Sunday. I remind you that Sunday is the Chabad Telethon. Sunday is the Chabad Telethon. They're calling it Chabad's Nice Bucket Challenge. <laughs> Rabbi Anshom Pearl is all ready. Everyone's set for an amazing and incredible evening beginning at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. ChabadMiniola.com. ChabadMiniola.com. Uh, the uh, musical acts include the dancing rabbis, Avram Rosenblum, David Gabe, Simcha Liner, Eitan Bernath, the kid chef star, Shira Lichter, a nine-year-old violinist, uh, Frisch Yeshiva High School Jazz Band, Blessing Ofer, uh, Neshama Orchestra, all participating in the Chabad's Hanukkah Telethon. It starts at 7 p.m. It'll be on RCN, Cablevision, Time Warner, Dish, DirecTV, Comcast, Fios. Uh, it's on the RNN Regional News Network. So check that out and get ready to enjoy. It should be a lot of fun. Looking forward to seeing everybody down at the Chabad Telethon. Uh, Monday, the Yachad Dinner takes place, uh, yachad.org for information. Yachad Dinner takes place on Monday night. Also, of course, the Rabbinical College of America, Rabbi Herson getting ready for the dinner Monday night with uh, Ambassador Ron Dermer um, and um, and uh, Senator Menendez at the Hilton Meadowlands Hotel in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Information at 973 267 Nine four oh four. Mazal tov to Tzvi Eli Lefkowitz. The big ufruf is this Shabbos. Tzvi Eli Lefkowitz. Mazal tov to you and your wonderful parents, the entire family from all of us here at JM in the AM. And a reminder to Joseph Kushner Hebrew Academy as their open house and family fun day coming up Sunday, starting at nine a.m. Go to jkha.org, jkha.org for more information about that. It is a JM in the AM Friday morning, 4.09 is candlelighting time. Benny Friedman in our studio this coming Monday. Benny Friedman with the brand new CD in our studio this coming Monday. We're getting set for that, getting ready for an amazing morning. Benny Friedman Monday right here at JM in the AM.
most recent CD, Likrat Shabbat. J.M.N.M. Friday morning, candle lighting at 4.09. Naomi Nachman with Table for Two, brand new edition coming up right after J.M.N.M. She'll be featuring a whole bunch of great guests as usual. Coming up, Naomi's going to be speaking with... Do we have that here? Naomi's going to be speaking with... Um, Gail Rands from kosherfoodiebox.com, Rebetzin Danit Schusterman from Chabad Maui, and Alexander Rappaport from Masbia coming up between 9 and 10 this morning on jmandtheam.org. Time to take it Shabbos with Journeys. It's shining through the trees. Another week's gone by. Become a memory. So throw Cause all your work is done I'm gonna spend the day together with the Holy One Say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine Man and his creation 
Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmdan.org. Broadcasting from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios here in Jersey City, New Jersey. On JM Sunday, Matis has Aviva Kanoff speaking about her brand new cookbook, Gluten-Free Around the World. And the Moshe Kindelera of the Jewish Link of Bergen County, which we hear is uh, going to be expanding. He's co-founder and co-publisher. He'll join Matas as well on Sunday morning. Make sure to be tuned in between 7 and 9 a.m. Saturday night, Seagull tomorrow night with Avrami. Coming up before our amazing Arab Shabbos music mix, Naomi Nachman is next. She's got amazing guests on a brand new edition of Table for Two. On Monday, Benny Friedman joins us. Brand new CD. He'll be live in studio at JM in the AM. Have a wonderful Shabbos, great weekend. Make sure to watch the uh, Chabad Telethon. It's always a lot of fun. 7 p.m. Eastern time this coming Sunday night. Till Monday, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.